When I was five, we left Brooklyn and moved to a farm in upstate New York. There were no neighbors for miles, just land. A great forest was dotted with rusting cars. Along the road, there were little cemeteries, older than old, often with no names on the stones. Many of them face down in the grass from the Civil War or earlier. They littered the countryside, shaded by old maples, sitting behind wooden fences as the summer grass grew tall and hid them, as snow drifted in great hills and they vanished for a few months. I imagined the families that were buried there, this blank stone a father, the next one with a crack running through it was a mother, his wife, an uncle, a cousin, an orphan, a runaway. Later in life, I found myself taking pictures in cemeteries everywhere I traveled. In Rome, in Tbilisi, in Valencia, in Moscow. And then I felt like it was terribly wrong to do this. A trespass I should undo. They are fascinating places. The names, the remembrances left behind, a bouquet of wildflowers, a bottle, a glass. But maybe better to leave them alone, to respect their privacy. Maybe better just to stand in the dust with my eyes down as people pass, knowing the path, knowing the way to go to their loved one. Me, the unexpected guest, the intruder the foreigner. I'm Marco, and this is Songbird. In this episode, we're talking about Stone Blind Rain, track eight from Heaven Get Behind Me. Sometimes it rains when the sun is out, and I've seen this in Moscow. Now that's pretty backwards. Sunshine and rain in the same sky. And the very first time I saw this, my wife said to me, it's called blind rain. The rain doesn't know that the sun is shining or the sun does not know it's raining, but one of them is blind. And there was something so perfectly wrong and perfectly right about that. It was so incongruous. It's so defiantly ironic. And there it was outside the windows. It felt like this giant real-life metaphor. I mean, you could interpret it so many ways, but in that moment, I was just thinking... We're living and we're dying in the exact same moment. 
So the song began to take form around this phrase, blind rain. And I just hoped that would be in the chorus. And I just tried to work backwards from that. Then I asked myself, well, who would notice this thing? Who would blind rain be meaningful to? I just understood the song was going to come from that perspective. So the next thing I did after that was ask a question that was in the lyrics, which is always a good way to start a song. Will I ever see you again? And then this man on death row emerged, and I was just focused on the little details. His last meal, there's a stain on his sleeve. I very intentionally chose not to talk about his guilt or his innocence, as I imagined that the chance to have that conversation had passed a long, long time ago. It had been completely abandoned, and he was just trying to find some grace. And the song was built from the details, and I didn't try to do anything more than that. Let's listen to the demo. Will I ever first glance, I felt like the basic idea of the song was holding water, and there was nothing big to fix, and there were no course corrections to navigate. I thought I just had to get out of the way and just do it very correctly and just get it right. But I really didn't have this guy yet. How you sing through his thoughts, how the words would come out, all the stuff running around inside his head. They were still really vague at the demo stage. I was just singing the words correctly. There was nothing else going on. So I was really going to need to work on the phrasing and the performance. And that's easier said than done. 
and they say it's gonna rain You call that stone blind rain You call it stone blind rain Out today. Say it's a good day to die. Let's slow down for a second. As it turns out, a lot of our listeners are not from the States, and some of the terms in this song might not be very familiar to you. So, what's a potter's field? Well, it's a lot of things. The basic, vague understanding is that a potter's field is where unknown people are buried. These are people with no family. It's just strangers buried next to strangers. And if you go a little deeper, a potter's field is a place where poor people are buried. Even people that had families could be buried there. A potter is someone that makes things from clay, dishes and bowls and cups. So why is it called a potter's field, not a farmer's field or a carpenter's field? Well, to answer that, we're going to have to crack open the Bible, the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Judas was given 30 pieces of silver by the high priests as his reward for betraying Jesus. But Judas refuses to accept the 30 pieces of silver, and the high priests saw this as blood money, and they didn't want to touch it. So they used it to buy a field to bury poor people in. And as it turns out, the field that they bought was full of clay. And that's how we got a potter's field. That's half the story. And as I wrote, will you whistle when you pass? And what I'm doing there is touching on this very common idiom, whistling past the graveyard. So what's whistling past the graveyard mean? (laughs) It's about putting on a brave face in the face of your fears. And the whistling is kind of a distraction. It's something to occupy your thoughts and And if anyone sees you doing this, you don't look so scared. It's kind of a a show of strength for yourself and for everyone else. And it actually originates in a poem called The Grave, written by the Scottish poet Robert Blair in 1743. Now keep in mind, a churchyard was also a graveyard in those times. Oft in the lone churchyard, at night I've seen, by glimpse of moonshine checkering through the trees, the schoolboy with his satchel in his hand, whistling aloud to bear his courage up. All right, that's the, that's the end of the grammar slash history lesson.
this one's in standard tuning. It begins with this back and forth between a high D and a high E chord. And no surprise, I'm just trying to play very few notes. There's no giant strumming. I'm just keeping it small, pretty jangly and pretty sparse. And then we move down to this augmented C and G shape. That's that lower stuff. Boom, 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 boom. Once again, thank you, Jonathan Kehu of Songbike for the DGC trick. You know, I'm going to put your link in the show notes again, because my God, was this useful. Now, I used the same trick in California Divorce, but the capo was on the seventh fret in that song. On Stone Blind Rain, I am never playing full chords. I'm very intentionally playing two or three strings at most, and I'm just alternating between them. And when you alternate on the lower strings, it's kind of like a cowboy song thing to do. So we're all over the fretboard. We're all over the strings. We've got this high jangly stuff. We got this low walking stuff. And I'm just trying to gracefully transition between them. And the lyrics, with any luck, come to the foreground. And over time, I've really started to look for opportunities for this whole foreground background thing to happen where everything is in its right place. The voice is in front, the music is around it, and it's funny, when you're mixing sound, they call that in the pocket. So every part is in the pocket then. Production-wise, I thought to bring in a harmonica and just to keep it really breathy and warm. I'm using my 12-string Gibson again, that same trick where I play just one long strum at the start of each measure. And then there's a glockenspiel sample, which is a fancy word for a xylophone. But honestly, this song to me is all about the acoustic guitar at the heart of it. My dry throaty Waterloo WL-14, especially on those lower strings, because there's something really mournful and clear and punchy and silky all at the same time when you put that specific guitar in the right relationship to a microphone. I mean, the microphone does not lie, and neither does this guitar. All right, let's hear the final version. Will I ever see you again? Am I really going? What'll happen then? I loved and I died What more can a man see? That's all we do We love and we die They'll bury me in potter's field 
under a stone with no name. The real obstacle was to find this man. You can't just sing these lyrics plaintively. I mean, on other songs, you can, and the words speak all by themselves, and you just kind of try to get out of the way. This needed some very understated, and I guess I'd call it acting, but I don't want to call it acting. The only way to get this one right was to be truly vulnerable. And the thing about vulnerability is, it's not a switch you turn on. It's not a dial where you crank it up a few notches. You can't just sing this song all achy-breaky and think something's going to happen. You just need to commit. And by that, I mean you need to surrender to all your greatest fears. Committing is like accepting that you're scared shitless. To die alone, to never see someone ever again, and just to understand that terrible things are possible. And it could be in the cards for you. So be scared and hold on tight to all that you have in front of you. Squeeze all the good you can out of this 
crappy tray of food or that sun outside the windows. Because tomorrow, nobody fucking knows. They'll bury me in Potter's Field under a stone with no name. And I wonder, will you whistle when you pass and whisper my name? songbirds it's that part at the end where I tell you where you can find us we're on all your favorite podcasting platforms and now we're on Pandora and iHeartMedia or you can just go to songbirdpodcast.com that's the only place where the show notes are if you like this track and you'd like to listen or buy the album we're on Bandcamp Spotify, Amazon iTunes. All you have to do is search for Martin Ruby, that's the band name, or Heaven Get Behind Me, and you'll find us. Shout out to Bunky Hunt of Whistlepig Records, all the way over in Motor City. Next time on Songbird, a visit to a prison a brother and sister, and mascara in the rain. Thanks for listening. Thank you.